Reader's Digress, the podcast where we read nonfiction books so that you don't have to, unless you want to. I'm Kate. And I'm Holly. And we're back again for Kate to tell me a story. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and Molly doesn't know what topic I'm doing, which is fun. Mm-mm. I I love this like game we're playing with each other. Like... I know. It's so, <laughs> so it's psychological. Scary, like, Ooh. <laughs> Uh, So the book that I would like to talk about today with you is called This Is Your Mind on Plants by Michael Pollan. It's so funny that his last name is Pollan. I know, right? How ironic. Wow, wow. Uh, And so I uh, am going to make this shorter than a normal episode because Molly and I are still trying to get back on track to our originally promised schedule, which was once a month, (laughs) which we have gravely (laughs) failed at. And so... (laughs) Listen, we were busy barely living. We were busy living, but also being dead while we lived like zombies. Yes, Uh, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) Working, working, working. Going on vacation for a little and bit, then, but yeah, mostly working. So here we are back trying to get back on track. So uh, the way that this book is structured is that Michael Pollan takes on three different plant-based drugs. The first chapters are on opium. The second is caffeine. And the third is masculine. So... Oh, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's like a peyote would be a pretty oh, common okay. uh, occurrence it, of it. So, uh, let me start with a summary because now I'm just talking aimlessly and then we'll get into it. Okay. Okay. So this is actually Michael Pollan's eighth book, which, whoa, Whoa. uh, including the New York Times bestsellers, How to Change Your Mind, The Omnivore's Dilemma, and In Defense of Food, which you may have heard of some of those books. I've never read any of his books previously. Yeah, I've definitely heard of omnivore's dilemma Mm -hmm. also does he like is he on a tv show now or something does he do uh he might be it wasn't in his bio but that doesn't mean that yeah don't worry about that uh okay cool he's also a longtime contributor of the new york times and teaches writing at harvard and uc berkeley wow what an accomplished guy jeez show off (laughs) overachiever i bet you run at five in the morning too i like already hate him how dare you (laughs) he's writing a book about drugs you're Overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Continue. So, This Is Your Mind on Plants, which is the book I'm talking about today, Ooh. explores the physical and psychoactive effects of three plant drugs opium, which has been used as a painkiller since 3400 BC, caffeine, which obviously is typically found in coffee and tea, and most of the population is addicted to it, and mm-hmm. masculine, which is what makes pe- uh, peyote psychedelic. So Pollen takes a holistic and participatory approach to this book and writes about his own consumption or a ton of these plants, uh, the effects on our bodies and why we crave them, and the ongoing debate over what constitutes a drug in different cultures and the wide-ranging implications of that label. Oh my god, this sounds so good. So it was very interesting. I will say I did not love the chapters on opium because he (laughs) reused... Uh, article that he actually wrote in 1997 for the opium chapters, which I think felt 
pretty disjointed when paired with the other recent writings. Um, it felt like a time capsule. Yeah. I was like, I, I don't, the, the perspective was just so different, you know? Yeah, of course. It's like technology was different. Yeah. So yeah, you were wearing like baggy jeans and a woven belt. We can't take <laughs> you seriously from the 90s. So, um, so that <laughs> is uh, what was going on in the first chapter. So I'm actually only hmm. going to focus on the caffeine chapter today. And I okay, felt great. like Ooh. for this episode releasing in January, that is kind of perfect because it feels like a New Year's resolution, caffeinated, get shit done mm-hmm. vibe. Yes. Also, yes. like if you're still with family and over like mm. New Year's or something, like caffeine is a must for most people to deal with like, mm. you know, Mm-mm-mm. nieces and nephews, grandchildren that are all hyped up etc your cousin who won't stop talking whatever (laughs) yeah exactly the the uncle who has terrible opinions whom you must be nice to unfortunately yeah yeah Yeah. and also like maybe other things will be necessary (laughs) and maybe other drugs i mean that's up to each to decide on their own maybe get several (laughs) prescriptions and try all of them out maybe just like have a little bit of fun Mm -hmm. i there's this um influencer that i uh look at their instagram too often and she was on adderall for an adhd diagnosis for a while and she's recently decided to go off of it and she's talking up because she was like you know i just feel kind of like disconnected and like numb Mm -hmm. when i'm on it um but she's like talking about coming off of it and being really tired and like having a her appetite is coming back and like all these side effects not that having an appetite is bad (laughs) but like you know all these things and i was just like "Mm, i don't know maybe being numb is worth it Like, I don't know. That's what a lot of people want. Yeah. You're like, well, it is all the rage. I don't know. The kids these days. Anyway, just kidding. Sorry for being nihilistic immediately, (laughs) right out of the gate. Not at all. I love it. Okay. So I would love to start with a question for you. So what is your relationship Mm -hmm. with caffeine? Okay. So my relationship with caffeine is pretty i would say chill compared to the average american or maybe average european because those guys are addicted to everything (laughs) (laughs) they're just like pounding espressos like truly and smoke chain smoking drinking espresso which i admire truly i do (laughs) um okay so i have been a coffee drinker since i was like early 20s i would say And I usually have one to two cups of coffee a day. I mean, I drink tea too, but coffee is my main Mm -hmm. thing. But actually last year in, I think it was in January, I, as I'm sure all of you at this point know, I have anxiety. It's something I've had forever and I do have a lot of physical symptoms of it. So I'll like, my hands will shake sometimes and I get like occasional heart palpitations and like tightness in my chest, Mm -hmm. just like bummer stuff. And I had started a new job back last fall and that had like a lot more stress. My mornings were much more hectic. And I had noticed when I was drinking like a full cup of coffee in the morning, my anxiety was just off the charts, Mm. like physical symptoms of it. Like my hands were very shaky and I just felt very bad. So in January last year, I actually switched to drinking decaf, Okay, which I thought would be horrendous, not... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i thought it was actually going to kill me i thought it was gonna poison oh, so me 
I thought it was going to put me in the ground. I thought it was going to um, euthanize me the first time it touched my lips. Not because, let me clarify, not plural. Let me clarify. God. <laughs> let me clarify. Not because I am that addicted to caffeine and that I thought I would have like headaches and stuff, which some people will get mm-hmm. when they go off caffeine. It was more just because I really liked the taste of coffee and I thought the decaf would really um, like put a damper on sacrifice it. it. Yeah. yeah. But I actually, maybe I have a terrible palate. That's definitely something you could argue, but I just didn't notice <laughs> that much of a difference. Okay. Like it didn't bother me that much. And so for most of the year I drank decaf and then when I would go like to a coffee shop, I would get like a split shot, which is getting half decaf, half uh, regular. Mm-hmm. So this year I've actually had a lot less caffeine than I would have in the past. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm I'm spending a lot of time at my boyfriend's, he drinks normal coffee. And so I am <laughs> drinking a lot more caffeine now. Um, but I've been noticing, like, I don't feel as yeah. bad with it. I think other things are less yeah, stressful in my say, life. I was going to say, circumstances yeah. Yeah. But I still order, like, when I go to a coffee shop, mm-hmm. like, I'll get a split shot. And at my house, I, I've just been buying decaf. So I, I'm now realizing that this is, like, the most boring thing I could possibly be talking about. It's like, so when I'm at my place, this is the kind of coffee I drink. Sundays with mom. Um Anyway, so I'll stop. But that's pretty much, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how I do things. I don't – I'm not a super substance mm-hmm. addictive girl. Like, I don't worry. I have my vices. But I – I just don't tend to feel like, oh, mm-hmm. I want to keep doing yeah. that. You know? Yeah, I think uh, it's fair to say, like, obviously there's a, a physical reaction to caffeine, no matter who you are, and there is an ad- a level of addiction. But I also think that there are some people mm-hmm. who are maybe have, like, more addictive personalities than others, or maybe their body responds to it, especially, like, craving um, than other people, stuff like that. So, yeah, I definitely think that's the case. It kind of depends on a person-to-person basis. Yeah. How, what's, what's your relationship uh, so, to caffeine? Uh, my, my mom never let us drink soda growing up, <clears throat> so I still don't drink mm-hmm. soda. Like, occasionally I'll have, like, a Diet Coke or something, but, mm. you know, not... Yeah. something I go after often. Um, and I yeah. have always hated the taste of coffee. So I have never been a coffee mm-hmm. drinker. I've, I've never actually yeah. drank a full cup of coffee in my life, which makes me sound like <laughs> not an adult. And for a very long time, I had a complex about it because I was like, if I don't drink coffee, I won't be an adult. I won't be a real person because sure, everybody sure. drinks coffee. I mean, that's the American way. Yeah. And yeah. also like, networking people are like oh you want to go get a coffee mm-hmm. and it's like sure Ooh. and then i get like an herbal you like a hot chocolate yeah and i, <laughs> I get like a glass of just steamed milk they're like that's gross and you're <laughs> so, like i agree <laughs> i i get it i'm all in um uh in the past couple of years i have uh drank more tea so i mm-hmm. do drink tea um not i wouldn't even say most mornings but a couple mornings a week and it's not always black tea which has the highest uh caffeine concentration but I, sometimes it is black tea it just kind of depends but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah so that's kind of my relationship with coffee one time in college I drank half a cup of coffee because mm-hmm. uh, my husband was trying to get me to drink coffee and uh, I had heart palpitations and I just oh, couldn't God. do it <laughs> 
Um, but yeah. I love the smell of it because it reminds me of all the people I love because like my mom drinks coffee mm-hmm. and, um, my friends mm-hmm. in high school, like their parents would drink coffee. So you wake up and the house smells that way. Yeah. My husband drinks coffee. My yeah. in-laws drink coffee. Like, you know, so in that way. Yeah. Yeah. The smell of it is so, oh, there's something about the smell of coffee that it's, is just truly Yeah. It's so comforting. comforting. My roommate in college so would a uh, big coffee drinker as well and i would love when she would make like a whole pot of coffee just because then the house would just smell yeah. that way uh even yes. though like she didn't need a whole pot of coffee <laughs> just her necessarily no, but sometimes she'd do that <laughs> if we had like people staying over or whatever yeah yeah oh i love that it just feels like so i don't know it makes me think of the holidays every time i smell mm-hmm. like coffee brewing i'm just like oh something yeah, good is yeah. happening and i i love it for yeah, the smell so iced coffee get out you can't smell that and so i'm hmm. i'm an anti-iced yeah. coffee person <laughs> kate is like <laughs> iced coffee um, straight to jail is basically just a candle so i don't know what you guys are drinking iced <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Listen, I don't need candles. I just need a Mr. Coffee machine. Glug, glug, glug. I'm just buying tiramisu candles my whole life. Um, Okay, so so let's talk about some of the main issues in the caffeine chapter. And I want to start with talking a little bit about the science of caffeine. So Mm -hmm. caffeine is a drug. It uh, increases memory and focus, alertness obviously, um, attention. And even though it does not make you smarter, it does make you quicker. So your reactions are quicker. Um, maybe you can respond to something quicker. And so in that way, it does improve performance from being quicker Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or faster to respond to something. Uh, not emails though. Never emails. Uh, (laughs) I hope I found you well. Stop finding me. (laughs) Stop finding me at all. I've been trying to hide from you so much. Uh, So it gives us energy by blocking the receptor in our central nervous system that induces sleep. Mm, Okay. So when you start to get tired, your brain sends sort of hypnotic and depressive uh, signs to your brain that says, hey, buddy, it's time to go to bed. We're, We're getting ready for bed. We're tired. We need to rest. And what caffeine does is, I know, I just keep doing this with my hand. I'm just like, like flicking. It's reminding me. Did you ever watch the. It's like flashing. The TV, fingers. <laughs> no. the TV show Futurama, there's this like fake television show on that show that's called Hypnotoad. And it's just like a toad oh. with those like black and white circle <laughs> swirl eyes. And they like. That's what your brain's doing to you yeah. every day. <laughs> and it just makes this noise like. <laughs> Hypnotoad. Anyway, great. That is kind of what I'm like when I'm tired. So yeah. honestly, not that far Deep off. Deep cut for you Futurama uh, fans. <laughs> for real. Um. So when you're drinking caffeine, basically your brain doesn't receive that message that you are tired, and so it still feels alert. Uh, Even though it's telling you you're tired, it's still floating around in there. So then when caffeine wears off, you're actually more tired because it's just been building up and building up, and you haven't uh, received that message. So you receive it all at once, and then you feel super tired. Yeah, okay, that's the crash. Wow, okay, cool. Uh, So that's also why caffeine messes with the quality of our sleep a little bit, Mm. uh, which is vital to our health. The better sleep we get, the longer we live, blah, blah, blah. I think we know that, but who cares? Boring, (laughs) longevity, blah, blah, blah. Also, if we never had to go to work, we would all get the best sleep because we could just sleep whatever hours we feel like. You know what's really killing us? Our jobs. (laughs) You know what's killing us? Having to be a person. Being alive is what's killing me. (laughs) Being alive is killing me. 
<laughs> I want that on a th- pillar. Okay. So I have a little pop quiz for you. So, oh gosh, question. okay, I'm ready. How long do you think caffeine is in our system? Do is it multiple choice? <laughs> <laughs> I can make it multiple choice. No, 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 no. Let me just. Oh shit, my mic. <laughs> Oh my god, I don't know. Okay. I'm gonna take don't don't make it easy on me. Let me just give you a guess. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say well, I'm gonna caveat it. I'm gonna tell you what my initial thought was, okay. and then I'm gonna say that I I bet you're gonna be like, actually it's five times longer than that. Okay, okay. So anyway, I think it's about five hours. Okay. I think that's like a very reasonable guess. So it's, uh, the quarter life of caffeine is 12 hours, which means that after 12 hours, you still have 25% of the caffeine that you drank in your system. That's so crazy. Pretty crazy. Uh, so in this book, Pollen actually decides that he's going to take a break from caffeine to better report on this. He wants to be like objective about the impacts that it's having on his life or whatever. Um, and so he starts experiencing caffeine withdrawal, which comes with headaches, fatigue, um, lethargy, lethargy. How do you say that? I don't know. I'm going to cut that. Lethargy. Um, difficulty lethargy. concentrating, uh, decreased motivation. Um, some people experience intense distress or loss of confidence Ooh. or even dysphoria, which is the opposite of euphoria. Yeah. Uh, the worst thing you can be feeling. <laughs> truly. So withdrawal actually starts overnight, according to researchers. Um, while we're sleeping, we enter this phase called the trough, like T-R-O-U-G-H, um, in the graph of caffeine's daytime effects. So this is a quote from him. Uh, the first day's cup of tea or coffee acquires most of its power and its joy, not so much from its euphoric and stimulating properties, than from uh, the face that, or then from the fact that it is suppressing the emerging symptoms of withdrawal. So daily, mm. caffeine proposes itself as the optimal solution to the problem that caffeine creates. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny, like interesting from a science perspective. And I've often mm. had my mom be like, how do you even exist without coffee in the morning? But yeah, the truth yeah. is like, that's how, because right, if you don't, you don't drink it. I, yeah, because I don't drink it, I don't feel the need for it. And therefore, right. like, there's no tie between those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you like you said, you drink caffeine in the form of tea, but even black tea has a lot less caffeine than coffee. Mm-hmm. So it's it just isn't affecting you as much. Yeah, which is good because obviously my heart cannot handle it. It's just yeah. going fucking yeah, nuts. <laughs> okay, so I want to get into the history of coffee, which, spoiler alert, is a bummer because the history of any commodity is the history of exploitation. So Exploitation. <laughs> This is the exploitation corner. Buckle up. (laughs) All right, everybody. You can fast forward. Listen to this on two times the speed if you have to. All right. So another pop quiz for you. Uh, When was coffee discovered? If you had to take a guess. Oh, let me think. I'm going to say. Oh, my God. Like 1100. Like like one or eight. I don't even know what those things mean. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was. I correct. Mean, no, it has to be earlier like, than that. Yes, whatever you, <laughs> you said got is it. correct. Um, I don't know. It's probably been for like the since the dawn of time. Like cavemen <laughs> came out of caves and they were immediately like chewing coffee beans. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would say like 
in the way we think of it now, probably like the 1100s, like mm-hmm. AD. Yeah. Yeah. That's very close. So it was discovered in Ethiopia around um, AD 850. Uh, oh. And oh my gosh, you're so Look smart. Look at me. I could teach writing at Harvard. <laughs> Gold stars are all around. Uh, so uh, coffee was discovered by a sheep herder. Uh, in Ethiopia. Amazing. That's so, God, how iconic. (laughs) Uh, And it spread to the Arab world next. Uh, In 1570, there were more than 600 coffee houses in Constantinople alone. It was huge in Islamic culture because it was an alternative to alcohol, which is forbidden in the Quran. Mm. So culturally, Mm -hmm. it made a lot of sense, you know, why it spread, as well as just like, obviously, human bodies like coffee and like caffeine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it arrived in Europe in the 1600s, and coffee mm-hmm. houses became huge in England, which meant that it became like a public meeting house that wasn't a tavern mm. or a pub. Um, mm-hmm. And many of them came to have institutional identities. So like a lot of these coffee houses would be like, oh, that's the one where the merchants gather, or that's the one where the mm. stock exchange, you know, gathers. Okay, cool. Uh, which is interesting. Yeah, that is. In 1616... Uh, the Arabs had a monopoly on the distribution of coffee. Okay. Then the Dutch stole coffee plants and started propagating them in Amsterdam and then created plantations in Indonesia, which was uh, a place that they had colonized at the time. And here's where the exploitation begins. And here it begins. <laughs> okay, so truly. Um, now is when we get into the history of tea. So when oh, yeah. was tea Ooh. discovered? Ooh, my God, I feel like uh, I mean, if we're if it obviously in China and India, they knew about it way before any of us did. So I'm going to say even earlier than coffee. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, yeah. let's say let's say 280. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, that's a great reasoning. So it was discovered in China and used as a medicine in uh, 1000 BC. Okay. So significantly, great, great. you know, younger, earlier. not yeah. necessarily in the concept or in the whole timeline of the earth. But yes, yeah. in human history. Absolutely. Uh, okay. So it was instrument. It was like an instrument of spiritual life in China, and then promoted as a health aid. Um, so soon after, the British East India Company began trading with China for tea. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Tea became the preferred beverage in Britain for caffeine. So it okay. usurped coffee, and now everybody's drinking tea. That's so interesting. It I wonder is. how that happened. I mean, it's still like that. I think in yeah. England or yeah, London. Yeah, for or- sure. Oh my god. <laughs> wherever this place is i was trying to go bigger and i just kept going smaller i'm like london and then i start naming neighborhoods inside london like what the fuck no that way on bronze street (laughs) such a lunatic anyway keep going absolutely um so by 1800 it was consumed by virtually everyone uh, mm-hmm. So they had a huge demand for tea now in England and needed a supplier. Uh, this causes England to run up a trade debt with China because they want the tea from China. And China doesn't want anything England produces because they're such a small country. <laughs> they're like, you suck they, and you have bad things. <laughs> basically, right? Like They're like, you're just a tiny island, basically. Yeah. Like You don't have anything to offer us. What, right. what can you... Yeah, we're just going to... It's a debt. Like We don't want anything yeah. from you. And in, and then Britain is like, can we offer you slavery? <laughs> like, really? Can we enslave your oh, people? Just wait for it. 
Okay, so England determines it's cheaper for them to stop buying from China and turn India, which was its colony at the time, into a tea producer than to trade with China. So Mm. they stole... So in order to do this, they um, disguised themselves as Chinese and stole Chinese tea production secrets by going undercover. They no. Then they, it just keeps getting worse. Then they seized land from peasant farmers in Assam where the tea was growing wild in India. And then they forced oh. those farmers into servitude and forced them to become tea farmers for the British. But even though they were meeting the need for tea themselves... They still have this debt to repay to China because, like, that didn't go away. So, at the same time, they decided to produce opium in India and smuggle it into China to get the Chinese addicted to opium. So, this is the start of the Opium Wars. Um, By 1828, the opium trade was 16% of the uh, British East India Company's revenue. Within five years... Uh, the East India Company was sending more than 5 million pounds of Indian opium to China per year. So, oh my God. A short while later, in 1839, <clears throat> the Chinese government was like, okay, this has got to stop. So they, they seized all opium dens, and they went in and they just like cleared everything out. The British were livid because this was how they were yeah. making money. And yeah. so they declared war. Uh, They forced uh, treaty ports and took possession of Hong Kong. And Hong Kong was not released from British uh, occupation rule, however you want to say that, until 1997. What? Yeah. So the reason why Hong Kong has a lot more Western influence is because it was under British rule as like this treaty port. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, one more fun exploitation thing in here. Not fun at all, but um, <laughs> one of the principal uses of sugar in Britain became tea because, you know, it's oh, okay. very absorptive. And yeah. uh, that drove the slave trade because 70% of the slave trade supported sugar production. Oh, yeah. So there's just all kinds of gross, terrible things going on. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm just like flabbergasted. Okay, you know how much shit millennials have gotten for spending too much money on Starbucks? Oh my god. It's like, okay, at least we were never millions of dollars in debt to the Chinese government because of tea. At least okay? we didn't get Imagine. millions of people addicted to opium. Yeah. And then well, because Americans we were that much that, in debt but not us. because of tea. Well, that's true. <laughs> the Sacklers. Millennials didn't. More on that later. Um, yeah, more to come on the opioid crisis later. That's so crazy, though, that it's like, can you imagine being that much in debt because of a tea? Like, I know. So much in debt that you have to start slavery? That's so bad. Truly. Wow, wow. Truly. Okay. Well. So that's the, the gross history behind it. Um, okay. I have one more section that I want to talk about, um, which is just about kind of the impact of tea and coffee on capitalism. Okay. Okay, which is always interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is a quote from Pollen, and he says, Coffee and tea ushered in a shift in the mental weather, sharpening minds that had been fogged by alcohol, freeing people from the natural rhythms of the body and the sun, thus making possible whole new kinds of work and arguably new kinds of thought, too. 
So alcohol mm-hmm. was being consumed constantly in pre-coffee and pre-tea Europe, and even given uh, to laborers. Those were the days. <laughs> and even given to laborers on their breaks. Like, people are, like, working, and they're like, oh, just be drunk while you do it. Oh, That's my fine. God. So Notre Dame was built by a bunch of winos. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of drunk, drunkards basically yeah, I, no wonder people had to be like bricked into the walls yeah yeah <laughs> they were just like and falling. there were okay, so anyway. many uh, i think there are a lot of historians that believe that the switch from alcohol which clouds your mind to caffeine mm-hmm. which number one was boiled in coffee and tea so it was safer than drinking the water if it had cholera oh, yeah. and number two uh cleared your mind and made you more vigilant right. and alert actually kind of spurred, industrial revolution yeah spurred the renaissance and the industrial revolution that's so crazy just fascinating the, yeah the dark ages takes on a whole new meaning when you think about the fact that they were just <laughs> they were drinking just cholera drunk. beer and <laughs> oh my god although yes. now if you think about it with coffee it's like they went from just being like drunk and maybe having like cholera all the time to like shitting their pants constantly because that's what <laughs> coffee makes you do so it's like mm, actually it's i think he talks about that that like a lot of people suffered from constipation because they weren't like <laughs> drinking water and so the diuretic was actually a positive for them like they could finally go to the bathroom <laughs> that is so gross oh my god and okay incredible. anyway delightful okay yeah so well thank thanks caffeine <laughs> Uh, So the most important contribution caffeine made on work and capitalism was that people could work any hours. They were liberated from the Mm -hmm. fixed rhythms of their bodies and of the sun. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of the first American employers to seize on the power of coffee was actually the Union Army. uh, And Mm. they withheld uh, caffeine from the South, which took a huge toll on morale. And they also sent home like several pounds of coffee per week to the Union Army. Uh, army uh, battalions or however they would separate wow. that. I don't know. Um, so that they were super caffeinated, mm. which is fascinating. That's so crazy. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. Yeah. And then in the 1950s, uh, they that's when it brought about this like idea of a coffee break, which we still understand about working mm-hmm. today. Uh, there was a clothing factory where women were on looms and provided with, and they were doing this kind of experiment where women were um, on the looms, and when they were provided with coffee on two 15-minute breaks, it vastly improved their performance compared to not having the coffee breaks. So then Whoa. employers started offering coffee for free because they knew that it helped performance and it was Oof. helpful for them. That's so crazy and dark. Oh my God. <laughs> so I'm not drinking coffee because I'm anti-capitalist. I'm an anti-capitalist. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that is essentially what I have for wow. caffeine. That's so cool. And I... Do you feel a little bit smug that I can drink decaf and be okay? One thing uh, that... But I shouldn't. I think you can feel however you want to feel. One <laughs> thing that Pollen points out in the book is that you still get all of the uh, benefits of drinking coffee when you drink decaf, which is to say like the antioxidants and some oh, yeah. of the um, positive nutrients mm-hmm. from coffee. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there you go. Yeah. It's good. Well, and to be clear, like cat or 
coffee, decaf coffee has a little caffeine in it still. Sure. It's not like fully decaffeinated, but yeah. Um, that's good. I, I was just glad that when I switched to decaf, I didn't get like terrible caffeine withdrawal. Yeah. Probably because there was like a little bit of caffeine. So it just like kept mm-hmm. me from feeling that way. But yeah, that I did like once in grad school, stop drinking caffeine altogether just to see if I could do it. And I did get like a pretty terrible headache. <clears throat> um, but it's just like one of those things where I don't care if I'm addicted to it. You yeah, know? there aren't. I mean, I guess sleep scientists would say otherwise, but mm-hmm. we're not talking about them right now. But yeah, <laughs> whatever. But for the most part, um, I think uh, he kind of mentions that like drinking morning coffee is a yeah. positive thing for like the vast majority of people. Um, drinking mm-hmm. coffee in the late afternoon or evening hours can really mess up your sleep. And so that is like yeah. not recommended, but yeah. most of the time the morning coffee benefits outweigh any of the sleep problems that you might get from it. Yeah, definitely. And I do notice like, like yesterday I actually drank caffeine coffee at like 4 PM cause it was like a Saturday and I was just like, it doesn't matter. And so, yeah, it does. <laughs> but then I was like, Oh, could not fall asleep. And I knew why. Yeah. And I was yeah, I was like, well, this is the hell that I have brought for myself. Um, <laughs> yeah, but then you wake up on a Sunday and it's like, okay, then it's fine. Yeah. I can take a nap if I want to. Right, right. And then you're running late for the podcast recording appointment that you have. And <laughs> it's fine. We got here eventually. <laughs> we got here eventually. Uh, so I have a two small pop care, culture. Oh, my God. Pop culture cap, pairing. Cap culture. Cap culture. Okay, pop culture pairings. Uh, mm-hmm. The first is to watch uh, the show The Bear on Hulu. Um, oh my god, I've been wanting to watch that. It's so good. It's, it so it's good? only one season at this point. Yes. Uh, the episodes are stressful as fuck. Okay. So it mm-hmm. feels like being caffeinated to me. But it's it's oh, very yes. good. I like the characters a lot. Um, people have been fangirling over, what's his name, Jeremy... Story yeah yeah i don't something know like that i don't yeah. remember the name of the main character mm-hmm. uh so that would be my recommendation and mm. also if you're interested in sort of drug policy um mm-hmm. you can take a look drugs at- full stop <laughs> <laughs> you can take a look at donating to the drug policy alliance uh which is the nation's mm. leading organization promoting drug policies grounded in science compassion health and human rights and their mission is to advance those policies and attitudes that best reduce the harm of both drug use and drug prohibition. Interesting. Okay, that's so cool. Wow, I love that. And I, I'm glad that your one of your pop culture pairings wasn't Starbucks because they certainly do not need the shout out. <laughs> what if it was? That'd be so funny. I'd be like, Kate, that's not like drink, you. <laughs> drink Starbucks. I don't even drink coffee, but I'm like plugging Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. They do technically offer non-coffee drinks they for do. those of you who are interested. Uh, like milkshakes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a milkshake. <laughs> I always thought that was so funny when people would be like, oh, I have to have my morning coffee. And then there would be a Frappuccino. Mm-hmm. And I would just be like, you mean your morning milkshake? <laughs> <laughs> Truly. It's like, well, same. I also need my morning I, sugar. I also but I just don't drink it in milkshake, milkshake form. <laughs> I, I'm envious and impressed, though, when people do that. Yeah. I mean, live your life, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's 2023 now, so you should do whatever you want. <laughs> Legalize breakfast milkshakes. <laughs> I start campaigning on that. You would win 100%. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, that was great, Kate. Thanks for telling me all about it. Yeah, thank you. And uh, we look forward to spending some more time with you all in 2023. So come back Yay! and see us. Mm-hmm. Listen to us, I guess. Well, both. Whatever. <laughs> see us on our Instagram where I never post anymore. Anyway, I promise I'll do better. <laughs> okay, see you next time. Bye.